When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of The Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmies and the Joes. We've ramped up our guests appearing on the show as we head into the postseason for college football. We're going to be having a lot of guests on in the offseason as well. And uh, right now I've got uh, an interview that I teased last week when we started talking about it, Brendan Moore. Uh, covering all things Michigan State is joining us. And Brendan, I'm uh, thrilled to have you with us. You do some great work and uh, looking forward to talking a little Sparty with you. Yeah, man. appreciate you reading my stuff as always. Uh, and thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, so first, before we get into Jonathan Smith and, and Michigan State football, a, a program that uh, has a lot of tradition, a lot of winning ways, and has fallen on some hard times, I have to ask, when you saw the four teams come up on Sunday afternoon for the college football playoff, what was your initial reaction? I was a little bit shocked that they went with Alabama over Florida State. I mean, I don't know why. Maybe I shouldn't have had faith in the committee to put Florida State in over an SEC team like Alabama. Uh, so, yeah, I was a little bit shocked. Maybe that's some of my own fault. Uh, <laughs> but I thought Florida State should have should have gotten that four spot. I think they deserved a spot. I mean, if an undefeated Power 5 conference champion doesn't get in, I seriously question the committee. I understand Alabama's the better team. I agree with that. I understand that Alabama has the better resume. I agree with that. However, if Florida State, they're undefeated. They could not do anything more than what they did, and they proved it on the field. Alabama had an early loss to Texas. Didn't look good against South Florida. I know Milroe didn't play. Uh they didn't look good against Arkansas. They needed a miracle at Auburn to win. Yeah. So I feel like the committee didn't take into account those three wins, those close wins from Alabama that were not impressive against either mediocre or bad teams. Uh, so, yeah, I know Florida State's resume wasn't – it was they went 13-0, but, yeah, they had some close games against Boston College and a couple other teams. But, I mean, I thought Florida State should have gotten that four spot. I'm not terribly upset because I think the matchups – are better between Michigan and Bama and uh, and Washington and Texas. I think Texas. I think they'll be really close games, so I'm not too upset. But I would. I I think Florida State should got should have gotten that four spot. I I agree. Uh, viewers of of this show for a long time will will know, especially if you listen to the Saturday night show where we predicted what we thought the committee would do. We also mentioned what we wanted. 
uh, I was adamant that there is no way the committee can ethically leave Florida State out without ripping apart some sort of the fabric of this game. It felt like they breached an honor code. Um, and, you know, maybe, like you said, maybe that's my fault for for assuming they wouldn't do that. Um, I, I don't know if there are the real ramifications in the sport going forward because now we go to a 12-team playoff, right? Like, they don't have that dilemma again. No one is ever going to be as upset over who gets the 10, 11, 12 seed as we are the third and fourth seed. So I don't know. Maybe they got off scot-free. Um, you know, Josh Pate had a good point. Boo Corgan is kind of, uh, you know, the the number one enemy of the college football world right now. Uh, but will that be a case a week from now, a month from now, a year from now? No, probably not. Everyone will have forgotten who he was. And, you know, we'll just talk about that year that Florida State got snubbed, but go on to enjoying the 12-team playoff. It's, it's a fascinating... Um, kind of way the cookie is crumbled. I agree with you. I think they got the four best or the two best matchups. I think we're going to have a, a heck of a college football semifinal, but gosh, like the, the eggs that they had to break to get there um, certainly rubbed me the wrong way. Last question on the playoff, uh, Georgia, where would you have put the Georgia Bulldogs? I think they're properly put at number six. I mean, yeah, they only had one loss, and it was to Alabama by three, but the margins in college football are just so small, even when you're the top dog in college football. And I don't think Georgia's going anywhere. I mean, just a three-point loss to Bama doesn't mean that, oh, the program is falling off or whatever. Uh, but I would have put Georgia at six behind the five teams that are above them. Obviously, I would have flip-flopped Bama and Florida State, and I think the committee would have done a great job, in my opinion. But – yeah, I would have left Georgia at six. And the losses, when you lose these games, they matter when you lose them. Like, you look at Alabama's loss to Texas. Uh, they lost to a playoff team. That was in September. They had time to rebound, build that res resume up to where it was good enough in the committee's eyes to get them into that four-team playoff. So, Alabama lost in September, progressed very nicely, improved throughout the year, whereas Georgia went 12-0, and perfect regular season lost last week and that last impression that you make to the committee really matters that was kind of my takeaway from georgia dropping from one to six is that last impression in conference championship weekend that matters more than any other game in the season yeah uh tough timing like you said georgia loses one game in a conference championship game alabama gets to you know look not very impressive against texas early games in the season and then they get the benefit of the doubt it is it is certainly an interesting conclusion to the four-team playoff. I lied. One more question. Who's your national champion? Man, this is tough. I haven't thought about this a ton. If I had to pick right now, I'd go Bama over Michigan in the one semifinal. I'd go Washington over Texas. Okay. And I think I'd go Bama over Washington. But I think all three of these games, the two semifinals and the national championship, i I think they're going to be very close. I don't think we've we're going to see a playoff. Uh, or I don't think I think this might be the best four team playoff we've ever seen. Just you look at the point spreads in these semifinal games. I mean, I don't have like the stats actually pulled up, but I don't remember a time when both playoff semifinals were like under four point spreads or something right. like that. I think Washington's like four and a half point underdogs in Texas, but I mean, you look at the, when TCU was in the playoff last year i think that game was like a seven seven and a half point spread um you look when cincinnati was in the playoff i believe there's a two touchdown spread in favor of uh favor of bama so 
I don't think we've seen, I don't think we're going to see a playoff quite, quite as competitive as this one. I agree. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's uh, it's, it's going to be a couple of really, really good games. Hopefully they deliver and, uh, and we get a, a great national champion, a, a team that we feel like, yeah, they, they absolutely earn that. Um, I think we're headed towards a, a, a positive conclusion despite all the, um, inconsistency from the committee. I think the games on the field might might save the taste of this season in everyone's mouths. All right, let's get to the topic at hand. Uh, up in East Lansing, it has been a strange couple of months, years, I guess, even. Uh, Michigan State is a program that's made it to the college football playoff. Um, they have tradition. They have resources. And they've had a very solid roster at their disposal. Of course, Mel Tucker, Mel Tucker being fired for cause um, earlier this season. And it's left the program, uh, at least to my eyes, as someone who doesn't cover them day in, day out, listless and in search of an identity. So I, I guess first, before we get to the new coaching hire and, and the future of this program, tell me about the last couple of, months as Michigan State has tried to finish this season like where where kind of where are we where is the new coaching staff taking over this program from it's I wrote a column on this after the Penn State loss so about a week week and a half ago uh but they're the new coaching staff I put it like this the new coaching staff is walking into a house where Michigan, the Michigan State program represents the house, where it just got ravaged by a tornado. Yeah, there's still some, there's still some pieces in there. Like maybe this family picture is still not broken. The foundation of the house is still up, uh, but everything's torn apart, and they just have to come in and rebuild. So the pieces are there. Michigan State has some young talent. Mel Tucker didn't did a decent job recruiting, especially down south. Uh, he went into Florida, went into Georgia a little bit got some decent talent for, that's currently on the roster and hasn't entered the portal uh, as of now. So there's some young talent. The resources are there, like you said, and the coaching staff needs to do a good job of kind of rekindling those Ohio ties recruiting. Cause that's what Mel Tucker really lacked was going into Ohio and recruiting Ohio. Cause there's a lot of talent in Ohio. Ohio is a football rich state. So, Smith, I think one of his priorities needs to be going into Ohio and getting those recruits. Uh, as far as like the team this season that we saw, I think Harlan Barnett, the interim coach, his main job was to keep this team together. And I think only three or four guys, because uh, there was a 30-day window to enter the portal for the players after Mel Tucker was fired. I think only three or four guys actually entered that portal, which was much less than everyone was expecting. Mm-hmm. So I think Barnett did a really good job of, of uh, keeping the team together. And I think that's kind of going to carry over into the Jonathan Smith era. Talking with Brendan Moore of uh, Spartan rivals here on this episode. And, and Brendan, you look at Jonathan Smith coming over from Oregon state, um, did a tremendous job for the Beavers, their first 10 win season in program history. He got four star recruits back up to Corvallis for the first time in in a little bit and it feels like he's really only kind of being pushed out the door by the pac-12 drama and the the loss of a conference and yet michigan state is poised to benefit from 
an up-and-coming coach who is known to be a, a player-first guy, um, someone who united a locker room, really built the culture. What do you see as his first steps that he needs to take? What are his top priorities upon now arriving at Michigan State, I guess a, a week or two ago, and heading into the portal and signing day? Yeah, college football head coach is not an easy job. And Jonathan Smith, I think, is probably learning that right now. Or, uh, But because, I mean, you mentioned it, the transfer portal. This roster is still pretty depleted. Yeah, I mentioned some of the young talent, but the depth is not there. Uh, so he can get that a little bit through the portal. I know he's recruiting the portal right now pretty heavily. Uh, rekindling some of those uh, Ohio ties. He's doing that right now. Uh He's also getting back in contact with some recent Michigan State decommits, like Anthony Carey, who's a four-star running back, I believe, from Florida. So he's kind of getting back into contact with some of those decommits, getting in contact with current Michigan State commits to make sure they don't decommit, continuing to to kind of re-recruit the current guys on the team. So he's got a lot at hand. Uh, I know early signing day is coming up later this month. Transfer portal windows already open. So he's got a lot on the table here. Uh, but as of now, I do think he's doing a good job because Nick Marsh, who's a four-star receiver, I think the highest rated recruit or commit in Michigan State's 2024 class, uh, he's well, he said he's locked in with Michigan State and he met with Smith. He's coming up for an official visit, I believe, this upcoming weekend. So Nick Marsh, one of the high-priority recruits for Michigan State, uh, he committed during Mel Tucker's uh, Mel Tucker era. So. I think Smith's doing a great job of kind of rekindling those and and kind of starting relationships with the current Michigan State commits and then kind of rekindling the relationships with the Michigan State decommits. Uh, I want to get back to the the portal and, and, and signing day in just a minute, especially with regards to what that roster could look like, what you're hearing as far as um, you know guys that, that Smith might be targeting, especially out of the portal uh, in just a second. But I mentioned Smith create an identity at Oregon state. The big 10 is about to change in ways that we haven't seen on the college football landscape in, in decades, right? With PAC 12 schools coming over and the heavy hitters at that Washington, Oregon, USC, UCLA. What is Michigan state's identity either going to be, or what does it need to be in your estimation in this new big 10? Yeah. So Smith mentioned this in his, uh, I don't know if it was his introductory press conference or he met with us, met with the kind of media members after he said that Michigan state needs to be a blue collar place. And he's kind of a blue collar guy. I mean, Michigan state is a mostly developmental program. When you look at them under Mark Antonio, they weren't recruiting a ton of five stars and four stars. They were getting three stars guys. No one else wanted and developing them into high quality players, starters at the big 10 level, not just the big 10 level, but big 10 championship level. They won multiple championships under Mark D'Antonio. I know Smith and D'Antonio have been talking a lot. Uh, so I think Smith kind of wants to replicate what D'Antonio did. Obviously he wants to recruit at a high level, but Michigan state, they're just not going to recruit at the same level as maybe an Ohio state or a Penn state or some of these other teams that are joining the big 10, like a USC or an Oregon. So he Smith knows that Smith's going to get his fair share of three stars. He might get uh, some four stars in there as well, but he's, this is going to be a place where it's going to be a developmental program for the most part. And that's fine. I mean, 
you see a ton of developmental programs throughout the country. He did it at Oregon State. You see a ton of developmental programs throughout the country that are successful uh, pretty much in each conference. So, I mean, Smith, he's going to carry over that identity he established at Oregon State as well. He's brought bringing over a ton of his guys from the coaching staff. Great off. I think you can expect to see great offensive line play, great running game, and a hard-nosed defense. I think that's the identity Michigan State had in the past under D'Antonio, and they want to kind of rekindle that under Smith. To me, and, and listen, I, I'm, I'm a fan, I'm a grad of a program that I think also needs to get back to some developmental roots right in Texas A&M, is time is a flat circle. Everything is cyclical. With the rise of the recruiting services specifically and the five-star culture and the sizzle that everyone chases on Twitter, on X, whatever you want to call it now, do you think that we're going to see kind of a shift back to developmental programs having some sort of edge or being sought out instead of all of the the glitz and the glam of five star? Or is that maybe just kind of wishful thinking on on my part? No, I think that's a very good point. I mean, you look at I can kind of compare this to kind of just the odd the, the styles that some of these teams are playing. I mean, you look Throughout the country, you see, you know, high flying air raid offenses, spread the, spread the guys out, slinging all over the yard. But you, you look at Georgia and Michigan, and maybe Bama as well. You look at some of these teams; they're kind of reverting back to just ground and pound, and will wear you out in the trenches. So I think that's kind of similar to what you're saying. And Mel Tucker, in uh, during his reign as Michigan State head coach, you saw a lot of that glitz and glamour. He was taking photos on the field with recruits with five suit Ferraris or whatever on the field, you know, big chains and stuff. So I think that was not what the identity, uh, do it his way. That's just not what Michigan state is. That's probably what Michigan state will never be. Um, so I do think you're going to see some, uh, some more kind of developmental programs, less, uh, glitz and glamor, I think is how you described it. So, yeah, I do think that's a good point. I think you could start seeing that. I mean, you saw it at Oregon state with Jonathan Smith. I think Michigan state could be that next program. It certainly feels like that's, the track that a team like Michigan state at least needs to start down and then we'll see what develops from there. I mentioned a championship pedigree. You talked about a conference championship pedigree made it to the college football playoff um, there at the very beginning, 2015, I believe if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. So yeah, the pedigree is there. They've just got to get, get back to it. A lot of guys hit the transfer portal from Michigan state. Uh, once the, the portal opened specifically at the quarterback position. What are you hearing uh, Jonathan Smith's either strategy or uh, kind of recent developments are there? And might he be bringing a guy over from Oregon state? Yeah, I am pretty confident in saying that a guy from Oregon state by the name of Aiden Childs will likely be coming over to Michigan state. Obviously things can change, but right now it's trending in that direction. Uh, which I think that would be a huge get for Smith and Michigan State. I mean, he was a four-star um, out of high school. I believe he was a top 100 recruit as well, so very talented. And we saw flashes of him this year out in Corvallis. I thought he played well as a true dual-threat kind of guy. Uh, I think he's better than any Michigan State quarterback on the roster this past season. I mean, you look at some of the guys that entered the portal. Uh, Sam Lovett's probably the most talented out of them all. He was a four-star uh, came in the, in his true freshman season, played four games, uh, 
to preserve that red shirt, but I thought he played well. So that was probably the biggest quarterback loss Michigan state had in the portal. But I mean, you look at the two other guys that entered Noah, Kim, Kate and Hauser, they both had their fair share of struggles this season, uh, fair share of turnovers as well. So I don't think a complete turnover at the quarterback position is bad at all for Michigan state. I think it's fine. Lovett's probably not a guy you want to lose, but if you're bringing in a guy like Childs, uh, and probably another guy from the portal and maybe adding a uh, 2024 high school uh, commit, then I think you're in pretty good shape. With the rush uh, to get into the portal that you see so many of these guys take, you've got early signing day coming up as well. How realistic is it for a new coach to come in and have um, – have a game plan, have a set strategy by early signing day in order to start filling out some of these holes. Yeah, it's hard. I'm sure he's working long nights, early mornings. I mean, I've touched on this earlier. He's got to recruit the portal. He's got to recruit some of these high school kids. Uh, he's got to re-recruit the roster to get him to stay and not enter the portal. He's got to, got to hire a staff, obviously, like I touched on earlier. So, yeah, getting a strategy before early, before early signing day and before this portal window open, I mean, it's got to be difficult. And I, don't, I don't know. I've never been in kind of a, a coaching office like that and really talked a ton with the coaches about that. But I guess that's a question that got to ask Smith and got to ask the coaching staff. But I'm sure it's difficult. But uh, Smith knew that coming in. He knew that, was, that there was a ton of work to do to kind of reshape this roster and get them to a competitive level in the new big 10, because you look at some of the new teams coming in Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, they all had winning records and Washington in the playoff. Oregon was right on the precipice of making the playoff. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, he's got a ton on his plate and I think just kind of rebuilding the roster is goal number one for Smith to get him to a competitive level for the 2024 season. Uh, talking with Brennan Moore of Spartan Rivals uh, right now. And, and Brennan, seems like for those in the media or those who cover college football professionally or, or at least casually, this hire was celebrated as this is an excellent hire. This is the kind of guy you need to come in and rebuild a program, certainly in the wake of some turbulent waters uh, from the past how have the fans reacted to Jonathan Smith coming to East Lansing? Yeah, well, the pipe dream for a large majority of the fan base was Urban Meyer coming to Michigan State. Now, that was never realistic. So when people say Urban Meyer was my first choice and Smith was my second, that Smith was always their first choice. Urban Meyer was just their dream. So yeah. I think uh, if you take out the Urban Meyer stuff, I think Jonathan Smith was probably – up there with the best hire they could have made. They poached a guy from another power five head coaching job. I mean, it, that's hard to do. I mean, you see some of the top programs doing it, like AM just did it uh, with Mike Elko from Duke, but you don't see many programs doing that. And, and Michigan State, I think with this hire, kind of announced themselves to kind of the college football world. I know there's still a lot of work to do, but it's kind of saying, hey, we're still here. We still have resources. Uh, we're still kind of a force to be reckoned with. Keep an eye on us. I think that was kind of the message they sent. And the athletic, athletics director at Michigan State, Alan Haller, an important takeaway I had was Smith was his number one guy. He interviewed 12 guys, had three finalists, interviewed Smith, interviewed a second finalist, canceled the third finalist. He said, I'm good. I'm going with Smith. He's my guy. 
And yeah. then Smith Smith obviously took the job. So Haller got his guy. I think that was the most important takeaway. I think that was the goal for Michigan State is to get their number one choice. Because if I don't know if you remember or not, uh, last time Michigan State was looking for a head coach, they were going for Luke Fickle, but he's he did he um, he turned it down, and they ended up going with Mel Tucker. So it's I think it was imperative that Haller uh, with this two month long coaching search got his number one choice, and he did. Yeah. Yeah, and it certainly right now seems like he hit a home run hire every offseason. We we grade head coaching hires. Uh, for me, Jonathan Smith is is absolutely an A. I think right now uh, the best hire of uh, of this round so far and, and likely to be that as well. I, I'm, I'm curious because down here in College Station, uh, Urban Meyer's name was was thrown around as well by it seemed more the, the football casuals uh, than anything. What would your reaction have been had Urban Meyer been hired at Michigan State? I would have been shocked because I never thought that was realistic. And kind of the reporting we did over on our site, Spartans Illustrated, was, yeah, it, there was not really a scenario where he would have became a head coach uh, at Michigan State. But if he did, I think I would have been shocked. I think the majority of the fan base would have been shocked. But my reaction probably would have been, well, you want super conferences you got him now. I mean, you look at the coaches in the Big Ten. If Urban were to be at Michigan State, you got Harbaugh, Day, Franklin over at Penn State. And with the coaches coming in from the West Coast, you have uh, DeBoer, who's doing a tremendous job at Washington. I really like what Lanning's doing at Oregon. Riley at USC. Kelly at UCLA. There's a ton of big-name coaches in the Big Ten. And if you added Urban Meyer to that list, I mean, that's a tough conference, man. It certainly would have been, uh, no doubt about it. It feels like we're turning into the NFL light more and more every day, and uh, I think the coaching the coaching hires are uh, are certainly a part of that. Uh, Brennan, we'll get you out of here on uh, another question or two. I think first and foremost, as we wrap this up, as you project out um, the next two, three, four years, looking at what Jonathan Smith has the potential to do. It all starts with year one. In your mind, what is a successful year one under Jonathan Smith look like? It's tough to say right now because I don't know what the roster looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think going bowling is probably around the minimum expectation. I mean, yeah, Big Ten's going to be a tough uh, tough conference next year, but if you take a peek at Michigan State's schedule, it's pretty favorable. I, d I believe they don't play Penn State. I think the only team from out west they play is uh, is Oregon. So they have Oregon, Ohio State, Michigan, Iowa. Those are probably their four toughest games. Mm -hmm. They have three winnable non-conference games against FAU, Louisiana. Then at Boston College will be their toughest non-conference game. So I think going bowling 6-6 six and six would probably be be a fair and realistic expectation. I mean, you look at the four and eight record this year, uh, which with what I assume would be a less talented roster than what they would have in the 2024 season. Uh, I mean, they went four and eight, but they were in a ton of the games. They just didn't finish the Rutgers game. They had a double digit lead in the fourth yep. quarter, early fourth quarter, I believe didn't finish that the Iowa game. They were in it. Didn't finish Minnesota game. They had chances, didn't finish. So there was a ton of games where they didn't finish. So I think this, this team this past year could have gone six and six if the ball bounced their way a couple of times, just didn't happen. So I think six, six and six without seeing the roster, obviously I can give you a better projection probably uh, 
spring practice time, but yeah, yeah, I'd say six and six would be uh, a good expectation. With the super conference model heading our way, um, where is Michigan State's ceiling as you can project it right now? And I'm not talking about next year, but but going forward, is Michigan State a program that can once again return to that kind of A tier level of of contention? I think they can. I think it's going to be a long road ahead. I think there's a ton of work to do, but you look at the 12-team playoff, you don't need to make the Big Ten championship game or even win the Big Ten championship game to get into that 12-team playoff. So if Smith, he has a seven-year contract with Michigan State, if he can make the playoff you know, two, three times, I think that'd be a successful reign, successful seven years at Michigan State. Obviously, if that happens, you'd probably get an extension. Uh, but yeah, I think making that 12-team playoff – probably every now and again is kind of the benchmark for Smith. Uh, and yet, like I said, you don't need to be a big 10 champion to get in. So, I mean, he can finish third, maybe even fourth in the big 10, go 10 and two, nine and three might even be good enough to get you in that thing. Uh, so yeah, I think that is more of a realistic expectation than becoming the standard in the big 10. Cause that's such a hard thing to do. You look at Harbaugh at Michigan. I mean, I mean, it took him a while to get on top of the Big Ten. Now he's done it three years straight. And you look at the new yeah. teams coming to the Big Ten, it's only going to get harder. So I think becoming the standard in the Big Ten is going to be very difficult. But I think getting into, into that 12-team playoff every other year, every third year, every fourth year, is kind of more of a realistic expectation for Michigan State. I like it. I like it. It sounds realistic. That ceiling with Jonathan Smith certainly seems attainable. Uh, Brennan, Appreciate you coming on the program and spending a couple of minutes with us. Uh, let the listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, for sure. You can find me on Twitter at BMOREcfb. That's B-M-O-O-R-E-C-F-B. I don't just tweet out Michigan State stuff. I'm a huge college football fan. Try to cover as best as I can. That's uh, Power 5 teams, Group of 5 teams. Uh, so follow me on Twitter there if you like college football, which I'm sure all the listeners do. Uh, and if you're a Michigan State fan, uh, or even if you're just interested in learning more about the Michigan State program, football or basketball as well, we cover that. Uh, head over to SpartansIllustrated.com. You can become a subscriber. I mean, it's the rival site for Michigan State. So we have the message boards and all that fun stuff. So uh, check that out. I'm writing articles, you know, multiple articles a week on there. So, yep, check us out. Yeah, he does a great job. You mentioned it. Uh, covers all things college football, not just sparty and uh certainly uh well worth the follow so go go make sure you uh you check that box you're following him as we get ready for the college football postseason the off season as well i mean Brennan, you know content is king it keeps rolling all throughout the off season so uh, just because there aren't games on saturday uh, doesn't mean that we slow down at all Brennan moore michigan state insider all things college football expert thanks for coming on the show and uh, i'm sure we'll do this very very soon once again yeah, Mitch, this was, this was fun. Have me on anytime, man. Appreciate it. Perfect. Well, we will do just that. I want to thank the listeners, the viewers over on YouTube. If you're new, if you found this show uh, through this interview, we would highly encourage you to follow us on YouTube at 3TechPod. You can do so on Instagram and Twitter, the same handle. We love uh, talking with all college football fans. And like I mentioned, as the offseason approaches, we want to ramp up these interviews, get all different kinds of perspectives, make sure we're touching as many fan bases as we possibly can. And uh, Brendan's just the uh, latest excellent edition of that. Well, 
It's another episode of the Three Technique. Once again, follow us at Three Tech Pod. Leave us a review on Spotify. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. And until next time, so long, everybody. Mm-hmm.